3: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows if he kills all the golfers, they're going to lock him up and throw away the key. Here
0: is the cap. That's right. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend.
3: Today, we are drinking one of my favorite, one of our favorite holiday beers, It's that time of year again. Available for a limited time in bottles and cans. Just clap your hands, clap your hands. Or if you know a really good bar, they have it on tap. That's right. We're talking about Holiday Cheer by the Merry and Bright folks over at Shiner Beers. Shiner Holiday Cheer is brewed with Texas peaches and pecans. This is one of our favorites. Garage grade, five out of five bottle caps. Now let's spread some cheer to our merry and bright garage friends. First up, a big cheers to Nathan Weston from Sunshine Coast, Australia. And a big shout out to Martine. He's a brummy from Birmingham, England. Next, Captain, we have a cheers to Allison, who says that we are both younger and hotter than she's pictured.
0: Allison,
3: Allison is in Jersey Village, Texas. Allison, don't let the beer goggles fool you. We look like something that's been living in a garage for the last six years.
0: Yep, we're in our 40s, but we look like we're going on 97. And a big shout-out to Janine and Billings, Montana.
3: Next, Captain, we have a cheers to Holly in Kennesaw, Georgia. And last but certainly not least, we have a double-fisted cheers to DJ and Ruby in the Parts Unknown. Everyone we just mentioned went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer run, and for that... We thank you because our beer fridge, our garage beer fridge, is full again.
0: Make sure you wash your parts unknown. Tis the season. B W E R U N, Beer run. Go get you some at the store page. And it's a great way to support the show. For everything True Crime Garage, check out TrueCrimeGarage.com. And that is enough of the business.
3: All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
2: I get a guy on the phone who claims he's been killing prostitutes and he's wondering why he's doing it. Oh,
1: god! So
2: maybe uh, he, he thinks I have an answer. Is this Ed? Ed? No, this isn't Ed.
1: Oh. You haven't killed any prostitutes?
2: No, I never said my name was Ed. Oh. Oh. Sorry. That's yeah, okay. What's your what name do you use? You can call me Clay.
1: Clay. Clay.
2: <laughs> yes, Clay. Okay, Clay. So what happened? How many prostitutes have you killed? Twelve. And you're wondering why you do it? I have a pretty good idea. Why? Did your mom beat you? Did your mom spank you? Did uh... Was
1: your mom a prostitute?
2: No. Actually, nothing like that. What is it then? I think I just do it for the sense of the power. All right. Do you have sex with them first? Yes, and. And then what? You strangle them? Once. How else did you kill them? Well, a few times, actually most times with a hammer. Hmm. And where do you do this primarily? Uh I've done it twice in a parking garage. And then the rest of the time's on the side of the road. And uh you're from the New Orleans area? Yes.
1: And hmm. sure. huh? I mean, what are you you beat them to death with a hammer? Man. Uh
2: it usually only takes once in it. Dude, you gotta have a lot of anger in you. Yes. Oh, that means you're heartless. Did you used to kill small animals? No, I've killed a rat. Yeah. Dude, you're a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you get away with it, I guess, because they're hookers, and so Is far nobody's. Se- what? Is this Howard? Yeah. Hello? Hello? I didn't know this was Howard. Yeah, it's yeah, Howard. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never killed a kitten. Hmm. So how old were, were you when you killed your first woman? Sixteen. And uh, you must be a powerful kind of guy, big guy. Uh, I wasn't then. Right. And uh, when you killed your first one, did you go in there knowing you were going to kill her, or it just sort of happened? I I knew. I I had I really had it planned out. Hmm. You know, I wanted to do the whole sending clues. Right. Oh yeah. Are I you to in? Baffle people, but it turned out no one noticed for a long time. Right. Huh. Like, wh- like you killed her on the side of the road. Uh, her. That was the parking garage. Okay. And then what did you do with the body? You dumped that somewhere? Um. Yeah, actually, I think uh, she's probably one of the ones that they found. Yeah.
1: But let me ask you something. You were sending clues that you were going to do this?
2: No, I was. Uh, I he was going to like le- doing that. Yeah, he was going to leave like a note for the newspapers, and you know.
1: Uh, but you decided not to.
2: He didn't want to be famous or draw attention to himself. But my problem no, is that's, could- that's what I wanted to do. But oh, but you did, but no one noticed the clues. I no, I never sent the clues. I never mm. left anything. You know, I wanted to have my own little signature. Right. I wanted the thumb paint. Oh, it's, with uh, their thumbs.
1: Oh, really? What do you want to do? Thumb paint with their thumbs.
2: Thumb paint, what though? I don't know. Oh, anything. It, it was in a comic book a couple of years ago. It, a, it just seemed like a good idea. Like you take the girl you killed, you dip her thumbs in paint, and then you do like a thumb painting? Yes. Yeah. On a piece of paper? Yeah. Hmm. Now, when you, after you kill somebody, do you play with the body? Um, actually, the closest I've ever done to that is I always make sure I pay them and I make sure they keep their money. Oh, really? When they're still alive. But uh, with one of them, I did put the money in a compromising place I see but that was this one it it had a penis oh Oh, really it was a guy yeah yeah I didn't know at first so do you you ever get do you think the reason you're so angry is because you were abused or something no I wasn't abused Howard Hmm. where's your family you got a wife
1: you got a mom a dad a wife children you got any of that
2: I've got a couple of kids, but um, I no wife. Not married to the mother. Mm-hmm. You're a white guy? Oh uh, yeah, or That's pretty funny because the only suspect they had when they started finding the bodies was a black police officer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out one of them uh, was associated with them. Oh really? Uh, are you on drugs? Uh, I've done acid a few times. Mm. So so nothing happy. So after you killed after you killed the first sixty year old, like uh you, you finish you, you finish. No, I was 16. Oh, that's that right, I'm was sorry. What she was. Right. So you finish with your uh, sexual gratification and then you not always, no. Not always. You don't even want to get laid sometimes. No, I just You just want to kill. Uh, I'm just bored. Right.
1: But does the killing sexually satisfy you in some way?
2: I can't believe Ed McMahon's not uh, laughing. I've, I've, i i eaten off thinking about it later. Yeah. What do you say? He He's, about he's
1: it. pleasured himself thinking about it later. Oh, he has.
2: Okay. Now, how far apart are these murders? Like, do you murder and then like you feel satisfied for a while? Um. I don't even understand why I do it, Howard. I don't know if, if I ever get any satisfaction.
1: Hmm. But how um, how the
2: often? The gather anywhere was uh the same night. Really? Sure you killed two people in the same night. Yeah, but I went to Mississippi for the second one.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So there's no pattern to how many weeks or days between murders.
2: No. Are these mostly white chicks or black chicks? Uh, a fair fair number of them have been black. The uh, transvestite was black. Did he do some racial motivation here? No, Howard. They were just uh. Well, let's just say a Jimmy Swaggertown. Hmm. Jimmy Swaggertown.
1: I don't know
2: what that means. We need it, but. Oh, that's, that's pretty much the area around here where the prostitutes all hang out. Oh. I see.
1: And it's just whoever comes up to you. You don't pick a certain type.
2: I don't even approach them. I wait for them to approach me, Robin. So and
1: do you that's ever like them asking for
2: it. Do you ever, like, look into their eyes and go, you know, gee, these, these people were just children at one point, and maybe they just had a tough life? I've let a couple go. You have. Like, what happened? You're in the middle of killing them, and then they. And then they what do they say? Why would you let one go uh, and kill the other? There was this one. Go ahead. Uh, I think she was probably really new to it. Yeah. I uh, there was just something about her. Maybe she reminded me of my fiance, but right. You somehow kind of relate sort of more more of an innocent quality. I just you somehow felt bad for her. Yeah. Hmm. You so okay? So you killed your first woman. When was the last time you killed? It's been a few months, right? Actually, it's it's been going on a year. Hmm. So, what do you think you're going to do? Do you think you're going to kill yourself? Do you think that uh, you think you're going to
1: s- kill again? Can you uh, stop
2: no, this? I myself. I'd miss the next Batman movie. Right. You don't want to do that. No. No, but in all seriousness, I mean, do you think that uh, you can control this? Do you think I you
1: can stop? I think I have been.
2: Oh, you have been for the yeah, last couple th- of months.
1: A year, he hasn't killed. Oh, a year. Yeah. Almost.
2: So, why do you think you stopped killing all of a sudden? I really don't know Howard I just part of it had to do with my car broke down Oh, no transportation like, mm. Re- seriously that's the reason well that was the reason for a month but after that I guess it was all self control wow huh. so you, you don't want to do this anymore no he wants to do it but he's controlling himself like huh. you want to kill women right sure yeah and what, Do you like it? do you enjoy seeing them struggle as you kill them uh, actually, none of them really struggle.
1: Hmm. Do you hit them from behind, or do they see it coming?
2: Uh, I can't get inside their minds, but
1: let's just say I hit them. But I mean, are you facing them? Yeah.
2: Oh, so you can see their face and everything when you do it. Yeah, yeah. The the worst I've ever gotten was um one tried to grab my neck. I've never gotten any of the claw marks or anything that are uh, dead giveaways. right you must be very powerful. I wouldn't call myself powerful, maybe uh, intimidating. Why did you use a hammer? Do you think you. Because uh, it was in a book I read. Oh. Wow,
1: well, everything's come from. Cartoons and. Else. Yeah,
2: when's the last time you got laid? Uh, last week, Howard. Oh, yeah, so you didn't kill that girl? No. Because she wasn't a hooker? No. Right. It's only hookers, though. A lot of serial killers are only the hookers because they know it's A. Easy. Probably won't get caught, and B. They have some kind of anger toward hookers. So there's no way I'm going to talk you into giving yourself up or anything, right? No. I shouldn't even waste my time. I know I'm going to get calls after this and people are going to go, Howard, how can we even catch him? Have,
1: has anybody ever been close to catching you?
2: No. No. <laughs> Actually, someone once when it was in the newspaper. Someone joked to me, oh, I know it was you, but, uh, well, they were joking. Right. Yeah. Do you have a lot of tattoos? Uh, I don't have any tattoos. I wouldn't do that to myself. Right.
1: And do you get high before you do this?
2: Uh, I've gotten pretty drunk before. Mm.
1: Yeah. I'm the only guy you can... <laughs> I'm, am I the only guy ever told about
2: this? Yeah. Wow. I guess that's sort of an honor. I've told a couple of women, Howard, but. Uh, <laughs> They're dead. Yeah. Do you tell them first and then you kill them? Uh, yeah. What yeah. do you say to them? Let me. On. Hi- All right, let's Every see. Now and then you can play the running game if you're out in the middle of nowhere, and we got a lot in the middle of nowhere down here. Right. So, in other words, let's say you're with a woman, right? A hooker. Yeah, Howard. And you say to her, uh, okay, honey, uh, you, you know, you just had sex and everything. What do you say to her to torment her? How do you break the news to her that she's going to die? I. It really depends on my uh, mood.
1: Just give us an example.
2: Well, if I wanted to, I could just say bob a but that would be pretty... No, uh... well, come on, be serious. What do you say to them? Uh, I, I can say you're going to die. And the then what do they do? It, I like to articulate a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I ask them uh, if they think it's dangerous doing what they're doing if they're worried about things and they'll laugh it off and that just pisses me off right and then you go ahead and you kill them yeah
1: Hmm. all right well there you go
3: Well, you heard it there, folks, in November of 1997, a man calling himself Clay, saying he is the killer of sex workers, a dozen at that calling from the New Orleans area to speak with shock jock legendary DJ Howard Stern, calling up, telling Howard Stern that he believes that he got into killing women for fame and notoriety. And later, he now believes that he does it simply for power and control. And this is a call that has been an interesting one. Obviously, this is an older call, but one that really sparked a lot of renewed interest just earlier this year. In fact, in the fall of 2021. And I don't know why all of a sudden here, Captain, this pops up on the radar as something that everybody's really interested in all, you know, all these years later. But one guess that I have is anybody that listens to Howard or is the proud listener of Sirius XM knows that Howard has two whole channels devoted to him and the shenanigans of his staff and crew. And the Howard station 101, which is arguably one of my favorite stations on Sirius XM plays a lot of the best of, or Sternthology, or, you know, the older shows. Interestingly enough here, Captain, I remember roughly around August or September of this year, they played this call again. They played the entire segment, which I believe was multiple callers, and this clay killer of women was only one of maybe three callers during a maybe a 20 minute segment and, but it's by far the most intriguing of those three calls. And absolutely one of the most intriguing calls that Howard has received in his very
0: lengthy career. Well, and just to get this right, because I'm, I'm not an avid Howard Stern listener. I think he does great interviews. I think he's obviously evolving throughout the years. And this was 20 some years ago. I think you can tell from this interview uh, Howard's kind of listening. Like where I think Howard has become a better listener when he's doing interviews now than, yeah, and, and obviously it's just a caller calling in, but you can tell there's a couple of times where the, he has, the caller has to correct Howard cause he's not really fully engaged in the call. But so what I'm guessing is that they'd have a call in section and that section would be normally about 20 some minutes long. And then, if one call is kind of boring, you cut them off at a couple minutes, but this one was pretty intriguing. So it lasts almost 11 minutes long.
3: Yeah. And I think what you have there, and as someone who's listened to Howard for quite some time, this is actually typical Howard to me. Like, and I think it's not because he's not trying to listen. I think he's quarterbacking a lot of stuff that's going on that we don't see because all we're hearing is the audio and one thing that I know that he does from time to time because he spoke about it on the radio is he's like trying to determine, trying to gauge in his own mind, is this an interesting call or not? Because if it's not, boom, I'm dumping this call. I'm here to put out an interesting show and we'll move on to the next caller. This is one of those ones where I think he's trying to gauge that, but he, he sounds like he's very intrigued by what this guy's saying. And in a way, almost trying to figure out the guy. Maybe not to the point of identifying him, but at least to the point of trying to gauge if this guy is legit or if he is genuine in what he is claiming to be. Because it's not every day that some guy calls up a radio station saying, hey, I've killed a dozen women and I really just called to tell you about it.
0: And I think I mentioned earlier to to you this year when we're putting together a, a schedule list and you know, we'll take the cases and then map out where we're going to put them on the schedule. My thought was, this would be interesting to hear you dissect this call. You being a Howard Stern listener and you being into true crime, what was your thoughts and opinions on this call? Surprisingly, it seems like in the last couple months, other people got this same idea to dissect this call. And there's a couple videos and stuff on YouTube where people are doing that.
3: Well, and what's really interesting uh, behind the scenes here in the garage, when you brought it up, I had it on my list and I thought, oh, this is perfect. Thank God he brought it up. Because it's always more exciting to cover something that you're excited about, but to know that your your partner in crime is excited to cover as well. So you know that it's going to be a good, interesting conversation, even if nobody else hears it, right? But, right. Uh, so I, I had said, well, you know, I heard the call again. It's one that I had heard over the years. And I was always very intrigued by the call. And I thought, you know what? This would be perfect for something for off the record because we're always kind of looking for true crime, but also kind of off the wall topics for off the record. Right. You said to me, you go, well, I think it's interesting enough. Maybe, maybe it goes on the regular show. And then what kind of echoed that idea? was we started getting emails from people that were saying, hey, have you ever heard the Howard Stern serial killer phone call? Uh, We we would love to hear a discussion about that on the show. So the listeners asked for it, and here we are doing it. And this call to me is, is incredibly interesting because I find myself walking the high wire of whether I believe this guy or not. Right, I, it's a it's a balancing act, and it's not that I want to believe him, or it's not that I don't want to believe him. Right, it's a matter of well, what side what side of this high wire do I fall off on? Do I fall on the side that this guy's legit, or do I fall on the side of well, this is just somebody calling in and looking to hear their voice on their on their favorite radio show? There's a lot of things that he says along the way that really make me feel like there's there's some truths here. On this call, I don't know that I would ever fully believe 100% that this guy would, of the things that he's saying. And I want to make sure that I really kind of explain that thought. One, the thought being that I don't know that I would fully 100% ever believe a serial killer in their statements or their stories, because we know that one very common theme that is shared by these individuals is they are known liars and they're known liars throughout the entirety of their, their lives and their criminal careers, if you want to call it that. So even if you were sitting down with somebody that you knew was legit, Ed Kemper uh, would be one that would come to mind. Somebody that is able to explain and articulate his crimes and some of his very the devious type behaviors and things that he did throughout time you know he's able to explain those to you and he's able to help you learn from him in, in ways but i also would suspect that i don't know that these guys possess the ability to be 100% truthful at any time and they tend to skew in mash the facts when it benefits them. You know, that's kind of a a common theme with humanity in general, but um, they certainly do it more often than most. One thing that is super interesting to me here is that another commonality amongst these types that we've learned over the years is that they usually like to talk. They usually want to tell somebody some of the things that they've done. It's almost a way of, of bragging.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. Normally when you're hanging out with your buddies and somebody's telling a story and it's like you might have heard the story before and a couple of years later the story has changed a little bit it's, and they embellish little parts. It makes the story better. But I agree with you. I, I don't know how much you can trust if he is a serial killer, how much you could trust him anyways.
3: That fish I caught, Captain, was 17 inches and it weighed over two and a half pounds. Yeah. And then a year later, that same fish, man, that thing was like 22 inches.
0: 17 feet.
3: And 3.1 pounds. And now it's not the biggest fish that I've ever caught, even though it's grown <laughs> since the time that I've caught it. It's now the second or third largest fish that I've ever caught. So, yeah, I think I think those things happen. Now, in analyzing this call, one thing's, a few things that jump off the... Uh, I was going to say jump off the page, but maybe jump out the earbuds are first. He, when asked his name, Clay, he comes up with the name relatively quickly. You know what I mean? Like it's, he's not fishing for a name to present so that to me, that's interesting. And then the number of victims, he says it very quick, very matter of factly, I've killed 12
0: women. Well, a couple of things there, I think one, and we've talked about this before, some people have, when they go into bars with their buddies, they have a an alias that they like to use. Or in this case, I wondered if this individual or maybe other serial killers, when they would meet their victim, well, normally it's like, nice to meet you, I'm the captain, what's your name? So they'd have that name, maybe he's used Clay in every single murder.
3: That's what I wondered about as well, because here's... The, the biggest problem for serial killers. And I you know that's a really strange sentence to say caught. and here is that often when they do it on a long enough timeline, there will be one or two victims or survivors that get away. And usually that is their undoing. That is the unraveling and, and what will lead to their apprehension. Now we know that serial killers, just like any other industry in life, kids playing little league baseball they study the guys playing major league baseball and they try to learn from what works and what from and from what doesn't work for right. the guys in the bigs so that maybe one day they can make it to the bigs so some of these serial killers and some of the more organized ones at that will typically study known serial offenders and known serial killers and they want to know what worked for them and what didn't work for them, and they might try to employ some of those techniques that did work and strongly avoid some of the things that didn't work or led to their eventual apprehension. Now, with Ted Bundy, one thing that he did, and I think this shows the arrogance of Bundy, was I don't think he ever thought that any of these women were going to get away from him. I don't think Bundy ever thought that they would survive Ted Bundy. Once he set his plan into place, once he made that determination that you were his, he believed it was going to work in his favor. Right. And so we know from the time at the, the Lake Shamamish and, and before that, the task force was actually referring to, and this is during the Washington state portion of the investigation, looking for the known serial killer. They knew they had a serial killer operating in the area. They didn't know who it was. But during that portion of the Ted Bundy case, behind the scenes, the task force and the people working that that case were actually referring to the investigation as the Ted murders, yet they had not identified the person that was committing those murders. Why were they calling the investigation the Ted murders or the series of murders, the Ted murders? Because on more than one occasion, there was a female that got away or was approached and had some kind of conversation with Ted Bundy in which he used his real name you know that's a common interaction when you first meet somebody for the first time oh what's your name my name's cindy what's your name my name is my name is ted it worked for him for a while because a lot of the victims didn't get away but when they started looking for possible eyewitnesses and people that did get away they're like wait a second this this person is calling himself ted and so they called it the ted murders but I don't know that any of the investigators at the time believed that they thought that the guy would be dumb enough to use his real name. So I like the cut of your jib here, captain. I think you might be spot on where clay might be a name that he is using when he's picking up a sex worker. Hey, what's your name, honey? Oh, my name's clay. Well, what do you want? Uh, how much, you know, you got to negotiate price and, and different, uh, different things, you know, where, where this is all going to go down those are all part of the negotiation process. And I would imagine that uh, an exchange of names and probably both of them fictitious <laughs> is going down during the course of that conversation. And maybe that's why he's able to, to kind of throw out this name clay. Obviously we wouldn't expect him to be giving his real name or providing his real name to Howard Stern and saying that he's killed 12 women and they've not figured out that it's me yet. And so maybe this is a name that he's using to help, get the eventual victim into his vehicle. If, if your whole goal is to procure a victim and get a victim or a potential victim into your vehicle, and we know that his vehicle was a part of his, uh, his murder technique, you right. know, a part of, of his scheme and what he was doing because he said, hey, I've stopped for a while, and part of the reason why I stopped is my vehicle broke down. I didn't have, you know, I, that that's his lab to work in. That's his, that's his mobile lab to try to procure a victim and then take them where he feels comfortable assaulting and killing them. And without that vehicle, he's, he's lost his playing field, so to speak. So there has to be some kind of exchange and you can't have a woman lean into the vehicle and say, Hey honey, what's your name? And you go, mm, I don't want to tell you my name. Well, that might be off-putting to her, and she might not be wanting to get into your vehicle after that exchange. So, maybe this is a name that he is using during the interaction with these victims. The number 12 is interesting, too, when he's asked, you know, he says, I don't know if, I can't remember from the call if Howard asked him how many people he's killed or if he just offers it up. But the number of 12 seems to come out real quick. Right, right. Like he doesn't have to to think about it so much. And, you know, the detectives will often say if something is true and something is factual, you you don't have to remember it. Right. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to remember it. You know it. You know it to be true. So that's kind of terrifying when he throws out the number 12 and does so rather quickly. While your subscription is active.
0: All right. Cheers to you. Cheers to the people in the back. Cheers to the people in the front
3: and happy holidays. Not so much to the people in the middle. Talk hands in the air. You stink. Hey, we'll be able to cheers the people in the front and in the back live at a show at BrewDog February nineteenth, twenty twenty two. That's a Saturday for you people that like to get down on a Saturday. Uh, tickets are available. We are doing the show at BrewDog. We are excited to be partnering with BrewDog for this. This is BrewDog in itself is a destination place. It's a it's a place that you want to go and check out have if you have not before. So Let me
0: just tell you, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world.
3: That's right. And we're hoping to class up the joint a little bit ourselves Stink on it up. February 19th. Now, some people have asked us, is this a live show? Will you be doing what you do here in the garage? And the answer is, well, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, what we'll be doing mainly is a beer tasting, and we'll be doing a Q&A. We will not be featuring a a full length case like we would here uh, for your earballs on the weekly but join us for a wonderful beer tasting the beers included in your price of the ticket so you don't have to pay anything extra for beer once you get there and we'll do a f- we'll do a wonderful Q&A we'll have some merchandise well, to, on to hand to be clear
0: on that when we're doing the beer tasting everybody will have the beer samples like we have exactly it's not like all oh, you can drink beer with a,
3: <laughs> it's an interactive beer tasting with Nick and the Captain, mm-hmm. and tickets are available on our website at truecrimegarage.com. So we hope to see each and every one of you there.
0: Yeah, and right afterwards we'll be hanging out at the bar doing a meet and greet, so that's all included in the price. But back to this call, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this Clay guy is why well, I kind of find it humorous that he almost seemed annoyed, Ed. No, I never said Ed. Right. I, I'm Clay. So you could kind of almost see his temperament a little bit.
3: Yeah, so you have that weird interaction there where Howard asks, "Is this Ed?" and he says, "No," and Howard sounds bummed out, and I think that's because it's not uncommon for your, you know, they're screening these calls behind the scenes before the, any of them make it onto the radio. So it's not uncommon, especially on a show like Howard Stern where you have hundreds of people trying to call in all at the same time where they're screening calls and they're in Howard's one ear. We can't hear it, but they're saying, hey, we got this guy, uh, Ed. He claims to be a serial killer. He's on line six. you know." And then Howard picks up, is this Ed? No, it's not Ed. Oh, he sounds bummed out because he thinks, well, the – The wires got crossed, and and now he's got some guy that he doesn't know if it's going to be an interesting call or not. But very quickly, yeah, the the caller straightens out the situation by saying, no, I, yes, I've killed women, but I never said my name was Ed.
0: The other thing I thought was kind of humorous is he doesn't understand that he's talking to Howard. So that one, that makes me think, is he much of a Howard listener? Because Howard's voice is very distinct. And so then he's almost, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe longer. i have to actually look where he's like, wait, is this Howard? And he's like, yeah, this is Howard. Who do you think it was? And then you can hear his breathing almost change. Like he becomes nervous. And mm-hmm. so that makes me believe, okay, well, why would you get nervous that you're actually talking to Howard? Would you be nervous because now you feel like you're on the air? Or if you were a big fan of Howard, then maybe you would you know, get nervous at at the last meetup I did, this girl came up to me and we're taking a picture and she was like, I'm shaking. I don't know why I'm shaking. I'm like, either do I. So, um, so I thought it was kind of humorous that he, he gets mad about the mistaking of the name and then gets nervous once he figures out it's Howard.
3: Well, sometimes adrenaline kicks in and it's not really up to us when it does kick in. I think it comes from that part of the brain that doesn't ask for permission. It just decides, boom, right. here you go. Now you're like, oh, crap, I'm shaking. And I, if, if I had a, a choice in the matter, I would choose not to be shaking. But you're right. And this is one thing that, that always surprises me. Yes, one, the caller not recognizing Howard's voice. Two, they are on the call with Howard and Robin at the same time, and he doesn't. Oh, yeah. He seems to fail to recognize that. But this is in <laughs> in the defense of the guy claiming to be a serial killer. Uh, this is something that I've witnessed dozens and dozens of times on the Howard Stern show, where somebody somebody's talking for a couple minutes, and then they're shocked that they're actually talking to Howard. I don't know. Again, they're screening the calls. And I don't know if the person screening the calls ever tells the caller, hey, hold for Howard, or okay, you're on next. I think they just take down some information, tell them they're putting them back on hold, and if Howard picks up, he picks up. Because the guy screening the calls or the woman screening the calls can never guarantee that Howard's going to actually pick up on on any of these people. So, right. But you're right, there's a change in his, in his speech and in his breathing, and it could be – from both of those factors that you pointed out, maybe maybe kind of a double whammy of, oh, crap, I am on air, I am live, a little bit of stage fright, and oh, I am, I am talking to Howard, and now I'm nervous. The other thing you have to wonder, too, is... This guy doesn't, he's not calling in because he wants to get caught. There's other people he could call if he wanted to turn himself in or to get caught. If he is who he says he is, he's calling in to brag about what he's done, receive some of that fame and notoriety that he is seeking. These are his own words. He said, originally, I think that I got into it because I wanted to be famous or be, or be known as a serial killer. And now I'm coming to realize that I think that I do it, it being killing women for a sense of power and control. And so he's not calling in with the idea of, Oh, I want to give up every detail and every bit of information about myself so you can catch me. So part of me wonders too, is there an added factor to that nervousness that he's going, Oh, wait a second. Have I already said too much? I wasn't aware that we would be on the air.
0: Right. Well, in the last five years, we- We've lived a strange life. We're going on a strange journey because we talk about these cases. Sometimes we bring up individuals and those individuals might be suspects in a case that we brought up and they make contact with the show. And sometimes it's not even to clear up their name. Maybe they just want to have a discussion with us. And Obviously, they're having a discussion with us to clear up their name, but they they might they might not be upset about how it was reported because for years they've been a part of the case's story. Mm-hmm. And so every time somebody has reached out to me, I, I, I always feel like the obligation, one, because we spoke about them and they have thoughts and opinions on the case. And since they're close to the case, I, I always feel obligated to to give them the time to talk with them Mm -hmm. but they're also intriguing conversations because there's a part of you that goes this person is a suspect maybe not my favorite suspect in the case or or somebody that i lean too heavily in favor of being the actual murderer or or whoever's responsible for the crime but in those conversations there's a part of you that's like well maybe they will slip up Maybe they'll be talking to me about the case and just go, you know what? This is just too much. And oh, by the way, I did it. So I think that's probably playing through Howard's mind. Well, it's interesting that this guy calls and he's going to tell me all these details. Maybe through the act of talking about the crimes, I could get him to just, and I don't think he leans on that too heavy. Mm-hmm. But I think he definitely. I, I at one point he even says, you know, I, I have to ask because how how crazy would of uh, that call turned into if he basically said, oh yeah, okay, well, yeah, this feels good to be talking about and almost confessing to somebody, and if he was telling Howard the truth that you're the only person I ever told there is a chance that that individual then goes well this feels good to get off my chest all oh, by the way my real name is the captain
3: yeah well it's again it it might be one of those situations where if this is in fact real if he is who he says he is well then he's calling in because he's wanted some fame and notoriety for his acts but he can't you can, he can't just run out into the streets and say I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the guy that's responsible for all the news that's hitting the papers and the bodies that they're finding on the side of the road. Right. And because if so, he's going to they're going to shut him down, he's going to be locked up and he's going to be forced to stop doing what it is that he seems to like and enjoy doing. And that's taking the lives of of these women. 12 specifically is what he says. And of course there's a lot of other crimes and horrible things that go on leading up to the murders themselves. And that's probably all of a, all of it for him too, a driving factor for him as well. This is from a book that we've been talking about a little bit here in the garage as of late called a killer by design. And this is by the great Ann Burgess. And one thing that she's talking about in throughout this book is how much these types usually and we got to we got to make sure we we say that correctly usually like to talk and like to explain what it is that they are guilty of she's talking about a case where this is the ski mask rapist and after he was caught she goes on to say his desire to take ownership of his crimes and his habit of bragging about what he had done as a way of defining who he is. His desire to impress others by violent means was deeply disturbing, of course, but it also came with an upside for our criminal personality study as a whole. simonus that's uh, the, the man identified as the ski mask killer or sorry, ski mask rapist. Simonis wanted to talk. He wanted others to step inside his head so he could relive his most violent episodes and share them with an audience. Forcing others to witness the rawness of the details was a fundamental part of how his mind worked. And so that kind of backs up a lot of the idea. Well, if this guy is, in fact, who he says he is, why would he go out of his way if he doesn't want to get caught to go on? I mean, 1997, this is almost national radio. I mean by this point Howard Stern he's still on terrestrial radio but it's he's syndicated throughout the country and right. in many different states especially in some of the major cities. And so why would he want to risk right because that's what he's doing he's if he is who he says he is his risk of getting caught that number just went really way up because of this action. It's risky behavior to call in and announce to Howard and and anybody that's listening, who you are and what you've been up to.
0: And. Well, and I also don't think he's sitting there being that calculated on the information he's giving there. He's, it's not like he's has. there's hesitation or that he's, there's these long pause before he starts answering stuff. Some of the stuff is coming out of his mouth real quickly.
3: And that's, what's disturbing to me because that's where I lean on the side that this guy's telling the truth. Because he's, he's not struggling to come up with an answer because he's he does not know what the questions are going to be before he calls in. So it's not like he can script all of his answers. He does a, a pretty good job, too, of not giving a great physical description of himself, even though you can tell at times Howard is kind of trying to bait him a little bit. You said bait. And maybe get some information from him. So but this is what? You said it's what, about a 10-minute phone call? Yeah. So over the course of a 10-minute conversation that we listen into, really the only physical description that he offers up about himself is that he's a white male with no tattoos. Even so much so that when Howard says like, oh, well, you must be like a big, powerful, big, strong person. And what a slick answer that Clay offers up. He says, well, I wasn't back then. Well, that that's not even a real answer. That's not a yes. I am a big, strong, huge person, or I'm right. a meek little individual. That's a, a, a an extremely vague answer of well, I wasn't back then.
0: Right, meaning he could still be not big. <laughs> but- exactly,
3: and again, define what is big. It's not really defined when he's asked to give an answer. So. He really offers up no physical description of himself other than to say he has no tattoos. No tattoos is a direct reply to Howard on a specific question that is thrown out there and that he's a uh, a white male.
0: I did the same thing with this call that I did with the Brandon Lawson 911 tape. Listen to it one time. Okay. Listen to it again. And then immediately it was like, "Okay, let me get a pad of paper." and start dissecting it. I mean, it, it, it felt like the same feeling. And like I said, you, you see that he's perturbed because you call him Ed, doesn't understand that it's Howard, find that interesting right away. And also he mentions two, at least two comic book references. He talks about, well, I saw this thing in a comic book where the killer was painting with the victim's thumbs. And then he he said something like, well, I don't want to turn myself in because I'd miss the next Batman movie. Mm -hmm. So two comic book references. And then also, like you said, where he goes, Oh, well, no, no, I'm a white male. Um, you have any tattoos? No, I wouldn't do that to myself. Even though that the answer came out so quickly, it could be, look, when you have a lot of tattoos, people will ask about them and, Somebody. sometimes you'll hear the reply, yeah, I, I'm too scared to do that, or I don't know what I'd put on myself, or I wouldn't do that to myself. Mm-hmm. So it could be just a ruse. Oh, yeah, do you have any tattoos? Nah, don't have any tattoos. I wouldn't do that to myself. And, and kind of a joking answer to himself.
3: Well, one thing that I find really interesting is his where he does struggle to give an answer is when he's asked if he does drugs and he, he hesitates on his answer and he throws something out there like, well, I did acid when I was a teenager or something like he gives some answer. That's not really a direct answer to the question that, that was just delivered by Stern. And one thing to me that, that I really, I really focused in on that because when we talk about offering up no real description of himself, well, if he says, yes, I'm a drug user or, or goes into specifics about the types of drugs that he uses. Well, these guys that kill five, six, seven, ten, twelve 10, 12 people, they usually have other crimes that they've committed throughout the course of their lifetime. Yeah. And so that creates a police record. The the police have a record of those convictions. Use on file. And so he doesn't want to offer up that would be one thing that he really wouldn't want to offer up besides a physical description of himself because he could be he could be in a database somewhere. You know, I I need somebody that I know has been in the area for this period of time from this year to to the current year, remember this was November of 1997 of the phone call, I need somebody that has has previous drug convictions. We know that he had a driver's license at one point because he says his car broke down, and that was a factor in why he, he briefly stopped killing mm-hmm. for a while. Um, so there's some things that you can start to piece together if you really wanted to track this down. Now, he, he says he's calling from the New Orleans area, one thing that would have been really interesting to know, and th- this is a call, as startling as it is, Captain, this is a call that's not referenced on the show. I I, I don't know that it's ever been referenced again on, on the show. One that I could find, but I- I'm i a regular listener. I don't listen to every single day or every single minute of the show, obviously.
0: But uh, Well, the information I found ab- about this call is supposedly – the call happened, and they've never discussed it ever since. They didn't even supposedly discuss it on the next segment. Hey, remember that guy that just called us? What do you think? It's almost like they had the conversation, and they just moved on. And and look, for all we know, law enforcement was listening. Maybe they even got contacted by law enforcement. You know, hey, do you have uh, screeners? Can you tell us what number this guy's calling from? And maybe they were told legally just not to talk about it
3: Mm -hmm. well and that's one thing i wondered like and it was never mentioned was it in fact a new orleans area code i would have loved if if gary would have chimed in or whoever was screening the calls would have chimed in to let us know that at least the guy's calling from the area that he says he's calling from
0: well i actually believe that's correct because when he says howard is the one that says new orleans oh and 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 you can tell that he's a little startled by the fact that they know that,
3: yeah, he's a little off put that that's thrown out there right away,
0: yeah, and i and I've always found that to be a little suspicious where he's going he's talking, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, you're calling from New Orleans, and he's like yeah, he, it's almost like he knows that might have been information that Clay didn't want to give out,
3: well, and we can say this that there was an active serial killer in New Orleans in the early nineties. And the, one of the more extensive articles and information that I could find out there says that it could be up to 26 victims. And this would be through the course of looks like 1991 to about 1996. Mm -hmm. Now the only, the only thing that I throw in there in regard to this call is that the last victim that they have listed here, the twenty sixth victim, was found in April of nineteen ninety six and Clay says that he he says that he hasn't killed in almost a year, and this call's taking place in November of nineteen ninety seven Now, let's circle back around to something else, though, when he is talking about how he killed some of his victims. He says a a hammer is one of them. Strangulation was was at least one of them. And I believe he says that most of the victims he killed with a hammer and he strangled one of them. And he also says something about the strangled victim saying, well, that's probably one of the ones that they found. So just because we don't have any victims found after April of 1996 or, or information pointing us in that direction doesn't mean that the call's not legit, right? It doesn't mean that the call isn't legit because maybe they just haven't found his more recent victim or victims.
0: Well, like you said, he hesitates on when he says, you know, are you on drugs? And he hesitates. And I wonder if that's, he then follows up saying, you know, well, uh, you know, maybe I'd be drinking when I'd commit these crimes you wonder, well, how much is this guy drinking, and is he drinking? And then, once he has enough beers, that he's also doing some other drug, and is it possible that he just doesn't remember some of the murders?
3: Yeah, that's certainly a, a possibility here. Um, I would, I would guess that the the individual might not be so sloppy drunk that. I mean, if, if he, if what he's saying is true, he's been able to pull this off 12 times without getting caught. Yeah. And he, he seems to believe that he's so far off their radar that he can call into a, a, a national radio show and tell, tell everybody what he's been up to.
0: Yeah. I thought that too, but, um, with the drinking thing, you know, yes. Cause I, I would, I would assume that these killers would have this urge the urge is growing now. They know that uh, I I have to start planning. I think they start working out this this puzzle in their in their brain. But I'd also think that individuals that had these urges, if they were an avid drinker, that once they got enough booze into their system, that maybe they wouldn't be able to control their their um, impulses.
3: Well yeah. I mean oftentimes they will they will do something to loosen themselves up to build up the courage to because a lot of times these are fantasies that these individuals have and they've kept it themselves their entire lives and they want to act out these fantasies, they've just never had the the guts to do it. Yeah. And as as dumb and sick as that sounds, that's that's the truth. They've they've never been able to build up the confidence or the bravery or whatever you want to call it to to act on these fantasies. Now, one thing that I found interesting though too is he doesn't shy away from the fact that one of his twelve victims was a a crossdresser that, you know, come to discover later during the attack or what have you, right. he learns that what he thought was a female victim is now a, a male victim. And the thing that's interesting to me about that, Captain, is in this the list that i was able to find of the 26 victims from 1991 to 1996 in i'm sorry 1990 yeah april 1996 in and around the new orleans area and unfortunately they with very broad strokes they paint the the a picture here in the title of what the list is saying that these these 26 individuals were all uh you know, sex workers or prostitutes. And I don't think I've seen some information come out from family members of some of the, the persons that have bi- been identified that are on this list saying, you know, they weren't a sex worker that they're, they're being lumped in, in this group. But what have you, what we know here is that I don't think that it's the same perpetrator that carried out all 26 of these murders. I I don't believe that at all. I believe we're probably looking at, three, maybe four, uh, possibly more, because a couple of these could be just one-offs where where somebody killed just one person and they've never killed anybody else ever again. And it just happened to take place during this same time period, and so they're getting kind of lumped all together here. Uh, But within this list of 26, there are two men that are listed, and they're thrown into that category. Again, it's a very broad brush saying uh, that these were... These were sex workers in the area and they were, they were found. So uh, I apologize. Three males because we have two that have been identified and one that is, is listed as a John Doe. So again, this is a weird piece of information that somebody in the area may not know. And what I mean is somebody that's calling in to fake it may not know that that, that they've tied some of these male victims in with these female victims and they believe that they're connected at least enough to fall on the same list. Right. And I found that interesting. Now around this same time, from my understanding though, too, captain, it was well known that there was a serial killer in the area and, or multiple individuals that were killing, you know, similar women, uh, similar being ages or profession, uh, drug users, things of that nature in this time period. In fact, so much so that there was a – I want to make sure I, I have the exact terminology of what they were calling it back then. Uh, I won't give out the, the phone number because I don't know if it would ring to anybody. And if it did, it who knows where the phone call would go because this is a task force – that was in operation in the late 90s. So they had a serial murder task force is what they were calling it that was investigating those 26 homicides that fell onto this list. So there would have been some general public awareness that this was going on, one, that these murders were happening, and two, so much so that law enforcement has deemed this or some of these murders at least to be the work of a serial killer. And they are treating it as such, so much so that they've formed a task force to investigate these cases.
0: Well, when I told a couple of my friends, hey, I think we're going to try to dissect this call, and I'm, I'm interested to hear Nick's thoughts on this, they they would go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear his thoughts, too. Like, <laughs> like, who cares about your thoughts, Captain?
3: Well, there's a couple of interesting names that are... Loosely tied to this story, maybe a little more strongly tied to the story, depending on who you ask, but those names would be Victor Grant and Russell Elwood. So many people believe that Russell Elwood is in fact the guy calling himself Clay, Clay the serial killer that calls into the Howard Stern show confessing to killing 12 women. But Victor Gant is the other individual that's referenced in relation to this story as well. And he's really interesting, too, because it kind of falls back on something that Clay is talking about during the phone call. Victor Gant is a former law enforcement officer who was tied to two, possibly more, of the slangs on that list of 26 that that I keep referencing. So he did have, as Clay says in the call... A direct relationship with one or two of the victims.
0: Well, like you said, anything in this call could have been a lie. It could be a ruse to throw people off the scent.
3: And I'm trying to look here on the fly, Captain, to figure out if Victor Gantt was ever prosecuted or convicted of any of these these killings here, but it doesn't look like and this is not the most updated information, but the, the most recent stuff I can find on this individual is that number of victims, they put it at anywhere from zero to 27. So he may not have been convicted of any of these actual killings, but it does specify on some different websites that he is suspected of having killed two or more of the women that are on this list. The interesting thing about Victor Gant as well, when it comes to this list of, of homicides here is that he seems to match some kind of physical description that was being tossed around in relation to some of these earlier murders that were taking place in and around the new Orleans area in 1992. Mm -hmm. So, The suspect sketch then, at that time, depicted a large, muscular African-American man in his 30s, and Gant matched that physical, that, be it vague, but he matches that physical description. So who's this Russell Elwood? He is the individual that many believe is Clay, the serial killer who called into the Howard Stern show. He did go on trial in 1998 for two murders that took place in 1993. This was the murders of Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack. He was found in the way that he was apprehended. Okay. From my understanding, this dude worked as a cab driver for for quite some time. I don't know if it was the full length or extent of when the killings were going on. Or if it was just for a, a more brief period of time during the course of those killings. But a couple of key things to know about Elwood is one, he was not from the New Orleans area. He moved there after living here in Ohio for quite some time. And there's some information out there to suggest that he was in Ohio for portions of these killings that he may not have even been in the area when some of these women were, were abducted and killed. The way that he lands on the police radar is, one, taxicab drivers are not uncommonly listed as suspects in these types of cases, especially when we're talking about sex workers. So his his job so- sort of fits what you're looking for because everybody willingly gets into a taxicab, and so it's easy to come up with victims but they arrest him. They find him. Police see his vehicle in the middle of the night out in an area where they've recovered at least two bodies by this point. And they find him there sitting alone in his car and they question him, you know, just the basic question of, well, sir, why are you here? While police knowing, hey, we've recovered bodies in this area and it wouldn't be uncommon for a serial killer to return to the area. Or maybe he's here because he's getting ready to dump another victim that he has in the trunk of his car.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. He
3: claims, first of all, he's not fully dressed, which I I wish they would offer up more detail on that because if it's 90 degrees out and he's just not wearing a shirt, that doesn't seem extremely suspicious to me. Uh, But they say in the report that he's not, not fully
0: dressed. Flicky, flicky.
3: And that he claims that he's in this area because he's going to change the oil in the vehicle and change the brake pads on the vehicle. And he wanted to be out there because he could dump the used oil out in this area. And, you know, without anybody having concern about it, you know, you're supposed to properly dispose of used oil and he wanted to just dump it on the side of the road. Well, police are extra suspicious because then they search his vehicle. I guess they're hoping to either find drugs or maybe a victim that they can save. Uh, you know, they got a lot of susp- suspicions when they're approaching his vehicle. They don't find anything of that nature. But what they also don't find is brake pads or oil or tools to do any of the work that he claims he's going to do. Again, he's out in- near a field in pitch black area. He doesn't have any uh, lighting to assist him in-, in doing any of this work. So they know they've caught him in, in a lie. Got him. Now they need to know not only why are you here, but two, why are you in this area and then lying about why you would be here? So he looks extremely suspicious. But again, we have to we have to note here that he is, it's proven that during the course of some of these murders, when some of these murders took place, he was not in New Orleans. He was not in
0: the state of Louisiana. Well, like you said, though, there's probably multiple killers responsible for the, the sum total of the what do you say, 27?
3: Yeah, 20, 26 is the list that I have. Mm-hmm. And eventually Elwood was charged and I believe convicted in both of the two that he was charged with. I say that with a little hesitation, Captain, because I know that there's been some question marks on one of those two homicides over the years that there's been some information coming forward that he he may not have been in the area for both of those murders. It looks to me like this... This Russell Elwood is good for, for several of these. He also claimed to, I know we don't like jailhouse snitches, the people that he was locked up with Elwood would fit good with clay too, because he had multiple drug convictions in multiple States before he was ever charged with any of these murders. So that would make sense to me too, if he wants to kind of shy away from that in the, in the portion of questioning on the Stern show. But when he was locked up in jail in in Florida facing some kind of charges there, these weren't murder charges. We had inmates telling law enforcement that this is what this dude told us he was up to. And apparently if we are to believe these jailhouse snitches, what they're claiming is that Russell Elwood told them that his thing was he liked to to pick up a a streetwalker, He, he would get them to do drugs, whatever their drug of choice was. It could be heroin, crack cocaine, what have you, but he would get them to shoot up. He wanted them to overdose in his, in his presence. And sometimes I think he's having sex with them while they're overdosing. And then he has to, uh, if they don't completely overdose, then he has to kill them by other means after the fact and that he just kind of left his victims on the side of the road because he had no real attachment to them. There was no nothing connecting him, connecting victim to perpetrator in those cases. So he didn't feel compelled to conceal the bodies or go to any great lengths or efforts to kind of conceal the bodies. Now, that doesn't really fall in line with what Clay tells Howard on the phone. Mm-hmm. Because Clay says that most of them he killed with a hammer And one of them he strangled where the jailhouse snitches are telling us that, oh, well, Elle would like to make them overdose, having sex with them while they're overdosing. And with some of them, he, I think one of the victims, he, she didn't die. So he drowned her. One of them, I believe he claimed that he, that he strangled her, but at no point in any of those and any of that information, could I find the use of a hammer, which seems to be what Clay is saying that he's done with. With most of the victims.
0: I could see his voice matching his picture.
3: Well, What I think is probably most likely in this situation, again, when we talk about this list of 26 victims here, uh, we probably have a situation where we have multiple perpetrators. Victor Gantz probably responsible for a couple, maybe two to four of these. Russell Elwood's probably responsible for a handful of these murders as well. And this Clay individual who called in could be who he says he is. And some of his victims could be on this list as well. And it's just a, a, a tricky a tricky situation here. Now, on the Stern Show, we do know that it's not uncommon for them to have fake phone calls. Right. In fact, they ha- they employ people that call the
0: Howard Stern Show pretending to be legit callers. Somebody starts making prank phone calls to them. And they're so entertaining that they offer them jobs.
3: Yeah. And so they would off, they would regularly have these fake calls. But one thing I want to say about that is that Howard typically will move on from those calls relatively quickly. Like unless they're home run comedy smash hits, he moves on from those calls very quickly. And a lot of times, especially in the last 10, 15 years, he's also quick to point out. Well, not quick to point out, but. Toward the, the end of the phone call, he'll point out that it's somebody in the back. You know, that it's one of their staff and they've they've come up with something because that might become a character that you will regularly hear on the show going forward because it was such a smash hit. Now, a longtime listener here telling you, I don't know of a situation where somebody claims to be calling in with a serious matter. There's nothing more serious than discussing the taking of one's life. I can't recall knowing of a fake call to be saying something of that weight of that gravity. So now, is it out of the realm of possibility? No, because we know that he was, was, and is a shock jock. And who knows what lengths they would go to, to shock the audience, to grow the audience or keep the audience. But I have a feeling here that if this is a fake call, then Clay is the fake is, is the fake here not somebody calling in from the back that this is not a manufactured call from somebody on the Stern staff?
0: Well, and I also put a little weight to the fact that they've never discussed it afterwards. Like I said, they could have been caught. They could have been contacted by New Orleans police, maybe even a, a lawyer. And and maybe that's one of the reasons why they've never discussed it afterwards. Or on the flip side, they realized it was a fake And that's why they've never brought it up again.
3: Now, I would believe, Captain, that the BSU from the FBI would tell Stern and the local serial murder task force that they had established there in New Orleans at the time, this guy talking is our best weapon. We want to keep him talking, so let's have him reach out. Let's give him a – let's put him on speed dial so he can reach out and communicate with Stern or somebody on the local level because he seems to want to talk, and he's going to be able to offer up some clues if, in fact, he is who he says he is.
0: And we've kind of been discussing this gearing up and getting ready for this, and I think we both uh, have similar thoughts and opinions. No strong gut feeling either way. If I had to bet, I would say that Clay is an actual serial killer. I think that's because the devils and the details and how quickly he comes up with those details. And also, I find it interesting on how many times that he corrects Howard. And so when he says, like, oh, well, I, I originally wrote some notes and tried to put out some clues and and, and wanted to get some press. and And then when Howard, like, contradicts him on that he he repeats oh no no i originally wanted that i originally wanted fame i think if you're if he was lying to howard about that and then howard went in a different direction you wouldn't maybe maybe you wouldn't double down but maybe you'd just move on and just let let him be incorrect again the other reason why i would lean towards or if i had to bet that he is telling the truth is when they state New Orleans and how shocked he seems and almost where I'm not even going to deny that they must know somehow that I'm from New Orleans. And so I have to give up that information. And he doesn't seem initially like he wanted to give that up.
3: Where I question myself here, captain is whether this caller is in fact who he says he is. I I think he's probably legit. If I had to, if I had to just give a simple answer, That would be it. But a a longer, less simple answer would be one. I'm a little shocked at how long he stayed on the phone. If he is who he says he is, because he doesn't strike me to be dumb or ignorant to the fact that there's law enforcement looking for him. So I'm a little surprised at how long he stays on the call itself. And I also wouldn't be surprised if he's fluffed his numbers a little bit where he says I've killed 12, but maybe he's not killed that many people. Uh, maybe he, he, he still could be who he says he is and not have killed 12 people.
0: And like always, we want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the episode. So go to truecrimegarage.com and make sure you leave a comment on the blog. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for this week?
3: That's right. Thank you, Captain. And we want to thank everybody who has posted questions and comments on the blog throughout this wonderful year. It's been a it's been a busy and exciting blog at truecrimegarage.com. This week we have a great recommendation for your earballs, a little recommended listening. If you have not already, well then make sure you go and check out The Missing Persons Podcast. By our friends over at Abjack Entertainment, True Crime Garage and Abjack have been friends for years. Mike Morford, who many of you will remember, joined us on our Zodiac episodes. And I'll put the Colonel's stamp on this. There is no better person on this big blue marble to talk Zodiac with than Mike Morford. And also a big player over at Abjack is one that has helped us out here at True Crime Garage for a long time, Jessica Betancourt. She has worked here behind the scenes. For several years, and she has done some wonderful gangbusters work for us and for Abjack. We're recommending that everyone check out the Missing Persons podcast because we paired up with them to feature one of our most recent cases titled Paige Coffee. Paige has been missing from the greater Cleveland area since May of 2019. Her family, True Crime Garage, and the Missing Persons podcast are asking for your help. We need to locate her, we need answers and we are determined to get justice for Paige and her family. True Crime Garage released the Paige Coffee episode last week on December 7th, and this past Saturday, the Missing Persons podcast released a Paige Coffee episode as well. There are two very different shows, and I encourage everyone to listen to both, especially if you live in Ohio or the surrounding states, because again, we need some help. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to Jessica and Mike, and happy holidays to you all and everyone and we will see you back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't let it.